Hey everyone, if you are a frequent listener, you are already familiar with our training. Jason and I offer a free training and you can find that at evolutionary.men slash training if you're interested in going deeper than the podcast. But what I wanted to update you on was that if you want to go even deeper and you're ready to do a live event, Jason is leading a live event for our community. We just opened it up to the public and that is at the end of July. It's the last weekend of July in Northern California. You can find more information at evolutionary.men slash retreat. I will be there. So if you've been wanting to check out the work in person, go deeper, get connected to other men who care, who are doing the work and facilitators who care and are doing the work, please check that out at evolutionary.men slash retreat. was afraid to go after what I wanted, but also very afraid of, or just very ashamed of my own self in a sense, like my own, like, oh, no, I'm not allowed to talk about this. I'm not allowed to express this. I'm not like, these are bad things. another episode. I know we usually do girl talk episodes. This one is a guy talk, which I'm very excited about and took a little bit of coordinating to get all of us on the line at the same time. So I'm pumped to have so many people with me today. Um, This is going to be a little bit of a special episode because we're talking about, uh, I used to suck at girls and now I don't. And I think every man who uh, relates with women romantically, whether you relate with others as well, goes on a journey throughout his life around this topic. So this isn't meant to be comprehensive. This is just for men's journey, but I really want to make space for different, different people's stories and, and transformation, just celebrating transformation. That's part of the intention for today. So yeah, we're going to start by just going around. You can just say your name, your uh, rough age, your relationship status, zero to 10, zero, nothing's going on. 10 is I'm in a totally committed relationship. Um, and, and then your wild card question today is just favorite summer activity, favorite summertime activity. So who would like to start? Sure. Uh, I'm Jim. I'm in my late thirties, um, relationship status. I'll go with uh, six for now. And my favorite summertime activity is concerts and festivals and all those good outdoor activities. I'm in Chicago, so my favorite is uh, Lollapalooza. Nice. Chicago, especially since, you know, you don't always get out in the winter. So summer is important to celebrate. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Vish. Yeah, my name is Vish. I'm in my mid-40s. On the, the scale, I'm a three- um, my favorite summertime activity is family get together, family and friends get togethers and just having people around in a social atmosphere. Yes. Family gatherings and friend gatherings, all the gatherings. Good one. Yeah. Michael. Hi, my name is Michael. I am almost 30 and my relationship status is, I would give it 
uh, I'm going to say 9.5. Um, and my favorite summer activity, I would say, is foraging, whether it's like mushrooms or herbs, stuff like that. I love cool. It. I like it. Unexpected. Um, Toby, I'm in my late 40s. I'm married, so that's a solid 10. Um, what I like to do in the summer, uh, I usually have a good outdoor summer project working on my house or the garden. I like to barbecue. Uh, so it's all good times outside. I'm feeling like a gathering with friends and some foraged material from, from Michael is in order. <laughs> Um, cool. So we're going to start with, yeah, the experience of sucking with girls. Uh, this episode is sort of about your, your journey and your transformation around that. And so let's start with just, I'd love to hear from each of you about just your sort of maybe early experience with girls into, into women and what, what dating was like for you relating with women and dating when, when it was not going well. Right. So the, the more, more of the sucking side. All right. Sure. Yeah, I can go first. Um, so I was, uh, you know, I was very much a, a nerd and an introvert all through school. And I basically didn't talk to a single girl until I was 16. Um, and then I met this girl in choir and she talked to me and I was like, okay, I got to lock this one up because I have no idea. <laughs> how to talk to girls. I never approached a girl. I'd always go to dances, stag, and then just never ask a girl to dance. I just couldn't get the courage to do it. Um, so then I finally uh, yeah, met one that would talk to me and I was basically so afraid that I would never find another one because I was so scared and so bad at it that I ended up marrying her, uh, even though it was probably not the best decision. Um, and we we ultimately split up um, a couple of years ago. So then I was I was entering a, a new phase at 34 where I had only been on one first date in my life. Um, and that was scary. <laughs> you had <laughs> only been on one first date, meaning when you were 16. Exactly. OK. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then uh, 18 year break. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, some of my experiences were I grew up with a bunch of girls and I had a bunch of friends that were girls. So in a way, I always thought it would be kind of organic. And, you know, I always thought it would be a natural thing that things would just develop with people. And a lot of times I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't really know how to read the signs. And you get kind of nervous, anxious, and then uncomfortable. And there's also fear of rejection and other stuff. So I think a lot of it was just kind of the anxiety, just not knowing, being unsure. Um, even when I had confidence and I kind of knew what to do, still it was kind of just like a little bit awkward at times. Um, but I did have people interested in me and I did kind of share interests. But I think it was more being risk averse, just not being sure what to do, um, not really familiar with how to have experience with having some of the conversations early on. And just getting comfortable and also trying maybe to give the woman too much power to kind of control things versus me not taking more initiative and trying to lead more and trying to uh, give it a direction and kind of sharing ideas of what we could do together. That's a that's an interesting point you touched on about giving 
giving her too much power. I think we'll, we'll come back to that, but if anyone else wants to speak to that in their share, please feel free. Um, yeah, I would. So Toby here, um, my experience, um, you know, like Jim, uh, total, total band nerd, um, through high school, I never went to pro any dance just never happened. Um, and you know, a common theme with all of my relationships, um, is I had absolutely no purpose. I was just out there, you know, um, no, and, and that was, just kind of it. I'm like, well, let me go put myself in somewhat co-ed situations and see what happens. And, uh, you know, I would meet some girls and like fish, I, you know, I would just, as soon as one noticed me, I would totally hook on and I would ride that relationship out. Don't no matter how detrimental it was, um, until, um, she just got rid of me, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and that was the struggling part was like, um, I just had, I was not empowered to create agency for myself in the dating or relationship world. And, um, that's kind of how most of it went all the time, um, until now. Um, so that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. Yeah. There's a, there's a bit of a common theme I'm hearing around, um, sort of waiting for, for, the girl or a woman to approach. And then also something I'm hearing is a little bit of like drifting, drifting energy instead of directed energy, more like drifting along. I see a few men nodding. So just to name that as a, yeah, a pattern. I think a word I'm going to use is uh, what's a phrase for like late, I'm definitely a very late bloomer. Um, you know, it's funny. I always find it funny because I always, I always got along with women really, really easily, a lot more easily than men growing up. And I always had lots of women friends. Um, but when it came to actually initiating with someone I actually really liked, I just, you know, the whole freeze, you know, sh shoulders in, just whole completely frozen. So I probably went for the majority of my life, uh, of my young life so far without dating. Um, and the few I did have where I found I made some pretty, I know I came off creepy <laughs> just cause I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and then, and then a few, and then I had a few experiences here and there with, with women who I know who had genuinely liked me and just, complete utter yeah i don't know what else to say about that as like there were never never a long-term like very short-term relationships even if you even want to call some of them that and yeah what a what a mess i was <laughs> <laughs> i mean that that experience you're speaking to of freeze I think is also uh something I know a lot of of 
our clients have have had happen to them when it's uh, time to take action. There's sort of a, a fear response or a freeze response. And I'm wondering if, you know, to, to segue, yeah, if, if each of you can just touch on sort of what was that like for you emotionally to be in this place around dating and, and women? What was it like for you? Was it something you thought about a lot? Was it a point of, you know, what was your emotional experience like? And, and maybe we'll start with you, Michael, of what was that like to be sort of in freeze a lot of the time around this? So, you know, I will say like, and when it came to high school and like my, my very early twenties, I didn't really think about girls a lot. I was very like career focused. And then I just remember, I think I was at age like 22 when I started like, no, I'd like to start dating. Like, I remember like having that thought and like starting to experiment with like, you know, online dating and things like that. I I had no idea. I never actually thought about it till that time. Um, and as for the freeze, I just, I like to, I, I would describe it as just, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say. I don't want to embarrass myself. I, yeah, best way to say it is just, I just don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I definitely heard that exact phrase from a few of the, of the other men already. So it feels like a shared experience. Who else? Emotional, their emotional experience of this. Yeah, it was more, um, I would say a little bit more lonely and isolated. I think coming from like Asian, Indian communities and stuff like that, there's not really a lot of dating context. And all of a sudden, you're if you're in your 20s and you finish college, you're supposed to get married right away. So that's kind of generally kind of what some families and cultures kind of think. Um, so there wasn't really a lot of different context about who to talk to and what to do and then sometimes people will be like oh maybe are you gay or something and you know you'd kind of be like i'm not <laughs> um so there's kind of like some jokes with that but then it's also like you know do you want to have boyfriend girlfriend type relationships or do you just want to have just casual dates or just go out with lots of women so i think it wasn't really clear what to do and how to do it because a lot of perception was the cool guy was the guy that got all the women and went out with lots of different women and then you were kind of, I was kind of thinking in my experience, I didn't really want to be like that, but I kind of did want to be like that. You know, I wanted to have a special relationship or do something, but I also wanted to be the cool guy. So in a way, there was a lot of loneliness and kind of isolation, but not really knowing how to navigate through those experiences of knowing who to talk to and then trying to reaching out or even with the girl, if I was interested in them, how to actually have that dialogue with them too. Yeah. And thank you for speaking to the lonely loneliness feeling, because that does feel very present in this conversation, not only just the loneliness of not knowing what to do, but also just the lack of connection, right. Of just feeling lonely and isolated, like kind of want this thing, but I don't know how to get it. And that's a confusing experience. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so my, I was a different than Michael. I mean, I had a crush on, uh, you know, girls from the, time I was probably six I think so I was very interested in girls but I think similar to you know these other guys like I just didn't know how to do it and like it wasn't modeled for me um and you know a lot of my friends like I said were nerds and I, I think it was interesting that Vish mentioned the Asian thing because a lot of my friends were actually were Asian and I felt like 
their families didn't encourage dating at all. So none of my friends were dating. So I had nobody else to learn from. And I had a brother, but he was a, he was a nerd too. So just like, I didn't know how to do it. And I was so terrified of doing it wrong and getting rejected and that my life would be over. And so it's just like, the strategy was to be nice and friendly and hope that they come to you because then you can't screw it up if they initiate. Well said. That was a good, that was a good soundbite for the the strategy. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, the dating um, experience, you know, emotionally, I guess I'll put, you know, where I really felt it most of my life. um, I've been in the hospitality industry and I, and I gravitated into that because there was such a good social environment. So Um, and I, you know, now that I I look back on that, I was, you know, leveraging my, my own inner weakness, uh, with girls, with women and in staying in that industry. So there was social activity for me. And one thing that came very starkly clear was I, when I started, transitioning out of that industry and losing my social network and where a lot of my uh, identity was, um, I realized, oh, shit, I don't really know. (laughs) You know, I don't know how to do this. And um, without all this extra support network, I'd kind of groomed into my life. Um, And that and that was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I feel lonely. Uh, how do I even just go out and try and meet um, a female without all this ancillary stuff that I'd kind of been living in just to keep myself supported in that environment? And, you know, I went through some depression, I remember, and, and feeling really like, and because I was at my 30s and I'm like, oh, I don't, it was like, oh, I, I don't know how to do this you know, and, um, that, that was a really, um, just an awkward thing. And, and I, I just, I lived in that for a long time was that, how do you, how do you do that midlife, try and learn how to, um, be social. And it was just really, really weird. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that. I think a lot of people who are in school, high school and then go directly to college have a similar experience where you graduate from college and then you're like, how do we meet people in the real world? I don't understand how this works because you've been in social and sort of forced social environments for a long time. And then you become an adult and you're not really trained on how to meet people. Or, you know, one thing I think a lot of you sort of spoke to was lack of role models because that, that experience of, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know what to do. You know, many of us learn by observation, observing, or have actual role models that are helping to guide us. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to transition now to sort of your transformation around this, this topic. And I'm imagining role models might come into it. Um, But I'd love to hear just, so all of you are graduates of, our coaching program. And I want to make it clear, this is not a commercial for the coaching program, but as a point of, of focus, I'm wondering 
what was it that had you want to do that kind of program? There was some kind of thing happening in your life. There was some driver that drove you there. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that of, was it, I'm over it. I need this to change. You know, was there a, say a divorce or something? What, what was it that had you say, I want this to be somehow different. Anyone can start. Um, I actually remember the exact location where I had this thought. Um, it was, I think it was about, I guess it'd be about two, two years ago now. Um, I just remember I was standing in the middle of my living room and I don't know why I was thinking this. I can't remember as a predecessor to this, to my feelings at that point, but I just remember thinking like, this really needs to change. Like I'm, I'm tired of this. I, I really like, I can't seem, I can't seem to figure this out on my own. So I need, I need help. I think that's the word I want to use help. I really needed, I really feel, felt like I needed help. And I was, and that's where I started the journey of trying to explore like good sources. And cause I didn't have, I don't know. I never really had like that group of guys that I could talk to about this sort of thing. And because I don't think I ever, um, kind of nourish that as a, as a child, I, I have trouble. I still have trouble with it as like an adult. So I had to be creative in a sense. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that too. Cause I, I think also culturally boys are not encouraged to be close to other boys. And I'm using the word boy as in, you know, boys and adolescents, there's, there's not a lot of genuine, authentic closeness between young men that's encouraged or allowed. And a lot of that is because our culture is deeply homophobic. I believe that's a big part of it. And there's a huge wound in our culture, I think, for men around closeness with other men. And that is a major problem for everyone involved. So thank you for speaking to that. Thank you for speaking to that sort of, yeah, I didn't really have any solid group of men or solid group of guy friends that I felt like I could rely on, or that's part of what I heard in that. And, and again, sort of, yeah, learning through observation, there's no one there. If there's no one there, there's no one to, to learn from or to be around or to have to, to get help from. Yeah. I ended up um, joining the program just um, after splitting with the partner and stuff at the time. And then, um, I mean, with other people and other past relationships, I mean, I was always, always able to have fun and do different things. And, you know, kind of do it different experiences and stuff. But I just felt like I needed to understand a little bit more depth with it and kind of figuring out new ways, new patterns, or how to break old patterns and kind of come up with new ideas. And um, I think it was more just to give a little bit more direction, you know, a little bit more direction and focus and channel the energy that way. And um, I had been in other men's groups or other workshops and other stuff before. But I felt like, um, you know, I needed a little bit, a little bit more um, cohesiveness with it, you know. So I think doing a workshop like once a year maybe helps, but doing a in very in-depth, intense program kind of gives you a lot more focus, gives you a lot more energy, and it gives you a bigger network of people. So even if you finish the program, 
you still have people you can reach out to, people you're comfortable with, and even make new friends. And people have gone through some similar experiences, so you can actually really go deep with people where in the past you wouldn't be able to do it, you know? And then also, I think learning how to support someone else, if you can't support another brother or another friend in this type of thing, then it's very difficult to support your own partner, girlfriend, wife, whatever. So learning how to do that in a different way, in a safe environment where you can actually practice and learn new tools um, kind of really makes the biggest difference for me kind of entering and leaving the program, but still using the tools in everyday life if I need it. Yeah, thank you for speaking to that sort of experience as well of, of I've been in a relationship. It didn't work very well. <laughs> I'd really like to not do that again <laughs> and maybe, you know, break some patterns and actually learn how to do that in a comprehensive way. I know a lot of, of our clients come for that of like, holy shit, that relationship was really bad. And I think I had a part of it and I'm not exactly sure how, but I want to figure that out because I don't want to do that again. I know I don't want to do that again. I want to do something new and I'm, I need something to help me with that. So thanks for speaking to that. Yeah. I was going to I can relate to that a little bit um, for sure. I mean, I think I joined the program in part for kind of dating advice and dating skills, but it was more, I think, indirect um, in that I mentioned I had started dating when I was 16 and when was in a relationship until I was 34. And I'm very much a, you know, nice guy, people pleaser. And, you know, that whole period, I think I was really focused on, you know, the relationship and making the relationship work. And I hadn't really focused on myself and what I wanted to do. And so then once I get out of that and I started dating, um, you know, my dates might ask me like, oh, what, where do you want to go for dinner? What do you want to do this weekend? And I was like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And like, I just, I didn't know what I wanted. I hadn't figured that out. Like most people would do in their twenties. I just kind of skipped that phase. Uh, and so that was kind of my main goal from the program was to do that self-exploration, figure out what I want, uh, you know, get a little more confidence maybe. And then, and then I found that, you know, knowing what you want is actually attractive and just asking women what they want uh, is not a winner. Yeah, in some contexts, but in some contexts we want, yeah, your idea or your direction <laughs> first. And then, yeah, it feels really good. It feels really attractive. Like you said, man who knows what he wants and is willing to go after it. Your story reminded me of a man I talked to once after his divorce he said um, he, he felt like he lost himself in, in relationship and trying to please her all the time. And he, he remembered going to the grocery store and wandering down the aisles. This is after his divorce and just looking at food and being like brown rice. Do I like you? Do I actually like you? Or do I just eat you because that's what I've been eating D because she likes you. Do I like you? And he was going through all these foods like this you know, come to Jesus moment of who, who am I really? What are my tastes really? What do I like? What do I want? Because for so long, that was so secondary. It wasn't even really there. It was kind of this muted thing off to the side. It was more like, what do we like? Or what does she like? That's what we do. 
instead of who am I and what do I want? So I just remember that brown rice. Do I like you? Do I really like you? Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah, I'm Melanie. I think, you know, the that's a a common that, that's the that's a catalyst for basically my transition on some levels. Like, you know, I think most of my life I I have put, a, you know, an inauthentic version of myself out there in the world and um, wasn't getting the results I wanted. And, you know, it, there's a really basic old saying is like, if you don't know where you come from, you really don't know where you're going. And so a lot of the concepts of what this program that appealed to me was, you know, get how to build the self-identity, you know, cause, um, that can get, for me, it got derailed early in life and it was just a fictitious life I've left. I've lived and, and it went hand in hand with my dating, you know, it was like, um, you can, it's, you just don't feel confident that you're, you're an authentic person out there. Um, if, if you don't know who you are and it kind of be like, do I like brown rice? Shoot. I don't, you know, I gotta, I kind of got to know that. And, um, and you kind of got to know what you want in partners and relationships. And it's a really, you think, you know, it, and you really, really don't a lot, you know, and that's kind of where like looking within, um, you can really find some, some threads to start, uh, helping understand yourself better, which is what kind of I was looking for. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to hear from each of you in, in your process of transformation, what were some of the key moments or realizations about yourself that really helped you in this process? Because I think a lot of us have those aha moments and we don't necessarily share them publicly, but they're memorable. They're memorable moments or points of connection with someone else, or just what were some of the key parts of your transformational journey that you, that come to mind? I was just going to say, um, it might not be key moments, but it was just like reconnecting with my passions in life and my interests. So, I mean, like being able to like see like music again, or, like concerts or even doing events, like even a sports activity or just like shooting a basketball around or doing different activities that I guess I'd never got to do like, you know, as much, you know, and then kind of things that would bring me enjoyment. Um, those kind of helped along the way. And then I think just like, um, I guess when I had mentioned before that the anxiety and fear of rejection were always kind of there but once you kind of get over some of that and you know I guess it's just like anything else with like this practice right I mean you just practice 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 and sooner or later you're going to be more comfortable with things you're going to be better at things and dating is not like you're going to always be rejected at some points and stuff and that's kind of a natural thing especially with the online dating world or even in-person dating world but I think it's more of like you're more comfortable with yourself and you feel more confident and you feel more capable. And 
even if you're not with someone, you're actually happier still because you yourself are capable and comfortable with yourself and happier and you feel better. And then eventually maybe someone else picks up on that too. And they say, this is a guy that's interesting and I don't mind spending time with. And then maybe even um, when you know that you do have options and you don't feel like you're stuck, you know, I think that itself made a big difference too, you know, like saying that um, I don't have to be by myself, but I can also choose to be with other people. And I don't have to be with one type of person, but I can be with a variety of different types of people that there's no, um, I mean, obviously I think as you get older, it kind of changes along the way, but if you're younger, I guess you have a little bit more time, but I think um, those types of things, I mean, especially for a younger person, I would say reconnect with your passions and your interests and hobbies and everything like that. And you'd be surprised because that itself goes a long way for the rest of your life. And um, I guess in, but I guess some of the other guys have said is also if your partner or, or what you were saying in the example, Melanie, is if your partner doesn't let you do some of these things, then you also feel kind of left out of like being a complete person. And maybe I think if you have the right partner, they'll actually understand it's actually a um, compliment to who you are, not just not a distraction. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Vish, about you know, if you're with a partner who feels threatened by you having your own activities or passions, that's obviously a red flag. And I think a lot of men have been in relationships like that and, and slowly parts of you start to die. And then you're a less vibrant, whole, excited human being. And that affects everything else and generally leads you to be more depressed, which... (laughs) Which then uh, helps with the inaction thing, right? Because when you're depressed, you're sort of less likely to take action sometimes. So yeah, thanks for speaking to that. And it sounds like like for you, a lot you know, a lot of your journey was reclaiming those parts of yourself and bringing those parts back and and remembering your own joy and things you love to do. And as that happened, it was a virtuous cycle where you it seems like became more of yourself and more more whole. Yeah, I'll go next. Um, I think the <clears throat> the main thing for me was really revolved around like desire and a man's desire. And I think, you know, early on as a teenager, like I had a lot of desire for women, but I was just terrified to express it because I didn't want to be a creep. I didn't want to be that guy. Um, and then I got married and in my marriage, there was there was not a lot of intimacy. There was a lot of rejection. My, my wife rejected my desire repeatedly. And I, I really built up a lot of shame around it. Um, I didn't think it was okay to express interests, you know, sexually. And then, you know, by the time I hit the dating scene after we split up and then like me too was going on at the time. And then I was just really terrified to express any desire whatsoever. Um, I remember one of the first dates I went on after I split up, like I had a great time. Um, but like, she thought I had zero interest whatsoever. She was like, you know, I, I can usually tell, you know, there's a lot of guys that are maybes, but like with you, I thought there was zero chance he was going to text me afterwards. Cause you showed not an, you know, the tiniest bit of desire that, but then I texted her afterwards, like, Oh, I had a great time. Can we do a second date? 
So I was like, I was just so completely overcorrecting. Um, and, you know, thinking that, you know, expressing it is shameful, it's creepy, it's just not okay. And then I think over time, I realized that no, like, it's not, it's not shameful, it's okay. And like, it's, you know, it's my gift. It's, it's, uh, it's powerful, it's confident, you know, as long as you're doing it properly. Uh, and then I think now I'm, I realized I, I can express it, and it's attractive, and I don't have to be feel shame around it. And similar to what Vish said, kind of the fear of rejection, like that I had been so scared of it if I expressed it and then got rejected and I'm a creep. But now it's like, okay, you got rejected. That's fine. There's other women out there. Try again. And you'll find a woman that likes your desire and appreciates it. And then that's, that's the one that you should keep. <laughs> yeah. And I, can you speak briefly? Cause I, I, I think you have had experiences where your desire has been met now. And I'm curious if you can just briefly touch on what that's been like for you of actually being brave and expressing and then having it be, be met. Yeah, it's been, uh, it was terrifying. You know, I, I remember you know, some dates where I went for a kiss on the first date. I'm like I would have never, ever gone for that. And, you know, if there's, there's enough signals. I mean, she, to, to a normal guy, it would probably would have been, you know, green lights the whole date, but that's, that's what it would take for me to actually initiate something like that. And then like, I did go for some first kisses on a first date and like, it actually worked and like, she was into it and I was like, Oh, like, this is great. And <laughs> like, not only, uh, yeah, not shameful again, but like, this is, it felt, it felt exhilarating and it's like, Oh, I should, I should try to, you know, approach a woman at a bar. I've never done that before. I should uh, approach someone on the street. Maybe she'll be into that too. And like, it just kind of, uh, you know, had a feedback loop of then trying more and more and, and being more confident. I love that word exhilarating. That's just, it's just great. So three, a few moments that came to mind that I'm trying to remember that I think really were aha moments for myself. Uh, words that I've heard either from you, Melanie, or from other people, um, or when someone was recounting stories. First one, I would say learning about sexual shame was a, was a, was a big one for me, something I didn't even realize actually existed until, uh, that like, and then that, you know, that kind of correlates with what you were saying, Jim, um, with like desire and like those, those two and like, like things I never really like was afraid to go after what I wanted, but also very afraid of, or just very ashamed of my own self in a sense, like my own, like, Oh, no, I'm not allowed to talk about this. I'm not allowed to express this. I'm not like, these are bad things. Um, and uh, the other one I would love to use is learning, learning about vulnerability. Like that, those were, these are all concepts that were pretty much ignored for a majority of my life. Um, things I never even thought. I remember the word vulnerability quite a bit because I remember because um, there was one woman in particular that I remember um, being coached on on being vulnerable with. That was during the end of my my the Pillars program because that was the first time I actually was truly in setting intention to be vulnerable with someone. Um, didn't end very well. Well. It ended well, but it didn't end well, if you, you kind of get it. Um, 
where didn't go the way I wanted it, but the experience itself was a very eye-opening experience. Um, and I think from then on, once I had made those laws, those realizations and those connections and everything kind of just changed for me, I found, um, just my whole, my whole attitude and outlook on, on the, on dating and relate and, and having relationships with people was just so much better. Yeah. A lot opened up for you. It seemed like, can you, can you say a little bit about that? Because, um, it was, uh, it was pretty drastic, (laughs) the difference. I mean, it was, um, going from not a lot to a lot is how it, how it felt witnessing Mm -hmm. you. Can you, can you say a little about like, was it a sort of like, Oh, wow, this is easier than I was expecting it to be. Or this is a whole other world. I I could have been doing this for a long time. Or what was your experience of that? Of the, of. I think the best way for me to describe it was it really, it felt like I was finally doing something that was missing. And, you know, one of the things I love about, and about this, cause it, it, it applied to all aspects of my life, whether it was my professional or my personal relationships, but it just, it really felt like I was now, Oh, I understand. Like, I don't understand and understand it, but I under, I now, I now know what this is and I want to explore more of it. Like, cause it, it feels really good. Cause I've never, I never felt like I really had that. Like even, um, even with my own parents, I was going to say, I don't, I, I have a very hard, like, I love them. I love them very much. They were great role models, but I, I don't remember having vulnerable conversations with them. Like sex talk. And that that never happened. That was something they never did. Like, or when I was having troubles at school, like emotion, like the whole time, like emotional troubles that never get, that never got touched on. So I understand why I had such a hard time with it until I real until people put it in the words and I realized, oh, that's what this is. Got it. So the connection between kind of vulnerability and closeness, closeness, connection, intimacy, not necessarily sexual intimacy, but just, oh, vulnerability is part of this equation. And when I bring some of it, then there's more closeness or availability or is that the it you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So my aha moment, um, kind of happened that, you know, this realization that, um, I'm very much deserving of my own life. And, um, you know, that kind of goes back to understanding who you are and getting grounded. And, you know, what, you know, the, the story was, um, you know, (laughs) I'm married, you know, and, and everything's there in front of me. And, um, there's a whole, list of self-defeating stuff that goes on in your head a lot. And if you can just uh, make these little minor adjustments in how you think, and one of them is I deserve 
I'm um, very much deserving in a lot of stuff. And I, I would defer my own gratification out of life to, to the, a relationship or dating. And I wouldn't put myself first, you know, the example um, was what, you know, one time I'm at uh, the grocery store and I've done this a thousand times or I've gone shopping and blah, blah, blah. And I want something. So yeah, I wanted to make a drink and it was Valentine's day and it was a, I wanted to get chocolate liqueur and this peanut butter stuff. And I heard about it and I wanted it. And my brain automatically, as I'm standing there in the store, wanted to check in with my wife to see if she wanted it. And it was one of those realization things that uh, like, am I not empowered to buy this drink and bring it home to her and um, surprise her with it. And I don't know what happened, uh, but it did end up bringing something home without her permission and totally surprised her. And she thought that was the sexiest thing ever. And so this aha moment of, yeah, I, why am I, why do I suck with girls? Well, I'm a, you know, this whole, uh, not having a purpose and not really going after things is some unattractive, you know, stuff. And it really turns people off and, but you don't know you're doing it. You're, you're completely, you're, it's like, uh, it's just a, you're driving down the same road, but you're shifting over half a lane and it can totally make a difference in your life is like, See, seeing it for what it is. And I think that's where, um, yeah, kind of in a group format, you have this feedback loop and you're sharing these things and you don't, you don't see that out in the world and people you're in a relationship with, they're not going to tell you that. Uh, but get, being empowered to, to change and do an experiment and do that. Some of that stuff was like, Oh, aha, I can do this. It's like, I, um, uh, I'm important, you know, and I think you go through life, at least my own case, it's like, I don't think I really valued myself to put, you know, and that was the relation that day sabotaged a lot of my dating was like, I'm, I'm not important. And, uh, my needs don't matter. <laughs> and, uh, once you kind of start figuring that out, it becomes a much more powerful tool for you. Um, because if you can lead, you know, lead with that and not being authentic and knowing who you are and going, I, I do like brown rice and I'm going to ask this girl if she likes brown rice too. And if she doesn't, oh, well, but at least you, you were doing it. So, but it was, it was an aha moment because um, I could have kept going throughout my life, deferring my own wants and needs to other another person, and that's just it, 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 you do that so many times over and over. You you come to the, this point, you're like it, this isn't working, and those are one of those things where just deferring through your whole life is not healthy. Yeah, I loved 
I loved that story about the drink and part of what I loved about it was authentic desire. And I'm not just talking about sexual desire, but you had authentic desire. I really want to try this drink. I, I looks cool. I've heard about it. I, I authentic desire is attractive as we've said to women, but to, to the world generally, I want this thing. I'm going in this direction because I want this thing is that there's an attractive energy to that. And I love that you kind of caught yourself in the asking permission part of, Oh, wow. My first inclination, my first inclination is to ask permission of my wife of, do you want this too? Or should we do this? Or I'm not sure how you would have phrased it, but caught yourself in the permission phase. And then you thought, I don't need permission. I can just want something and get something and do something. I can do that. I can do that. And the second thing that's great about that is having a receptive partner. You know, I find it very inspiring to, you know, work with men at all different stages of relationship. And one of them is, is your archetype, Toby, of coming in to the program married and then seeing the transformation within a marriage. And that is so nourishing to hear about a receptive partner, right? Where she was like, that's hot. You brought this drink home and that's hot. And there's such a beautiful feedback loop there in in a healthy relationship of someone like you taking the lead and it being received well. And it doesn't mean it's always received well, but, but there's something inspiring about that of noticing the transition within a relationship of you stepping up and leading more from your authentic desire and then how much that lights up your partner. There's something just, just something extra delicious about that because it's um, it's inspiring to know that you also have impact on your partner, that your authentic, your authentic desire is good for you and it's good for your partner. There's a, there's a co-creation there that I think is really exciting. And to watch you kind of step into your power and lead more was one of my favorite parts of, 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 of working with you and sort of witnessing that transformation in your relationship. And, and I'm curious, you know, if you found that, that that did shift the dynamic at all with your wife, you know, did she notice what was, what was your sort of felt experience of being in relationship during this process? Oh, she, yeah, totally noticed. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, (laughs) always a work in progress, uh, in finding those opportunities. Um, but you know, I, I'd be on autopilot, on my own self-destructive path, probably, you know, and, you know, even though I am married, you know, that was one of those things where like, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. That's, um, self-defeating. And, um, that was one of those aha things. Like this is a, a huge thing. It's, it's paramount to, um, have some sort of spark about yourself that you can d- lean on, and because uh, you know, the, yeah, it, it can go hold our podcast. She can't pull all the weight, you know, and I have to bring my own, my own half, and my own energy, and my own desires, and you know, that was that's the thing about having 
uh, Melanie to talk and give feedback is like, yeah, the, the, the chicks totally want that from you, man. It's like, <laughs> uh, and that was a, a cool thing was that, yeah, my wife was like, she was on board. She's like, I, this is a new thing. Well, you should have done that a long time ago. So, um, but you don't have that. It's just cool to have that workshop to work it out and hear it for yourself. Cause, um, that's kind of what the, this whole thing's all about is, yeah, I used to, I did suck with girls. Now I got a couple tools under my belt that, and it was a slight, just a slight variation of the same thing you were doing, but um, you got some different purpose now. Everybody went right for that round or Michael, did you go? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I, I would love to hear a little bit for those of you that are dating Um or we're dating and are now in a relationship. So Toby came in married and you're still married. <laughs> um, but those that were, that were doing this while dating, can you say a little bit about your, your kind of experience with leading and how that was different or your, your, just your experience leading and what kind of results you got in, in leading. And if you could give an example or two, of what that started to mean to you, because I think leading was maybe one of the skills that you, we talked about, I didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to once you knew what to do, i.e. leading, what was dating like? Yeah, I think um, like sharing ideas, being a little bit more expressive um, with, whoever you're dating or even if it's a new relationship kind of express how you express and how you share ideas. How do you brainstorm? How do you come up with proposals or like, how do you want to spend time and stuff like that? I think, and sometimes it could just be as simple as like, Hey, I, I really want to go to this event or I really want to do something for Halloween or I want to do something on this day or my birthday is coming up and I want to do this and actually stating what that is and having a little bit more, um, I think like Toby was saying, the energy behind it, right? <laughs> like you're saying, like, this is important to me and what I want matters and, you know, kind of doing that. And then also giving the other person a chance to chime in and get their feedback too, right? And then you kind of express and you kind of see where they uh, meet you or share their ideas. And, you know, in some cases you might find that, um, you know, you're not on the same page, which is totally okay. That's going to happen. But I think just um, having that comfort level of being able to express and having the freedom makes a big difference. And then the other thing with leading is it's kind of like, um, it's more of like, um, it's, it's just a, sometimes we just suppress these emotions and suppress like what we want. And I think here where you're actually getting it out there in the world to actually make it reality. So even if you aren't sure about like, the relationship or who you're what you're talking about and how you're spending time you just say like i'm just getting to know you i just want to see where things are just trying to enjoy the time you know i'm not really looking at a specific direction i just try to be present with where i am right now and we'll eventually get there right so 
And sometimes people like, sometimes people might not like, some people might have other ideas in mind, but I think it really, um, people generally, I think will respect you and honor you and kind of value your, uh, your, the direction that you're putting them in. If, you know, you actually bring that. And also there's a sense of comfort too, right? You're not coming across as creepy. You're not coming across as demanding or anything like that. You're actually genuinely, I think what Michael was saying, when you actually express it in a vulnerable way and sharing the ideas, then there's a lot of energy behind it. And then you're also asking for, you know, them to share in too. Yeah. Part of what I hear in that is learning how to lead and guide the relationship itself, whether it's a committed relationship or not, but here's what I'm, here's where I'm at in terms of our connection. Where are you at in terms of our connection, you know, leading with vulnerability and actually having those conversations, leading those conversations, I would imagine has, has had better results. You know, I mean, that's what I was hearing in what you were saying. Would you say that you you've had better results as you've been doing that more? I uh, just generally have more like comfort level with the people. And like I said, because sometimes you're just not on the right um, path for a relationship for whatever reasons, you know, but at least people can still, you can still be friends. You could kind of leave things in a good note with people or something like that. So I think generally it's just an overall positive experience. Nice. Thank you. I guess the uh, leading for me was really, and I'm, and I'm still, still a work in progress these days. I guess we all are. Yes. But um, when it comes to leading, but um, to, for me, it meant mostly n- not being afraid of expressing myself, like whether that was a thought I had or, you know, wanting to do something or, having a desire for something and just and trying and leading with that, with that intention. Um, for me, uh, it helped a lot because it really, especially before I met my current partner, it really helped me figure out who was right, who was wrong. Cause for those uh, who weren't on board with what I had to offer, I was like, okay, well, you're out. I don't have you don't like this then okay fine or not this as like a certain activity but if you're not enjoying what i'm bringing forward in terms of how i like how i'm presenting myself because i'm trying to do it in the most authentic way i can and being authentic to who i am and my interests and my desires and and it, it helped it, it gave me a lot of a much better sense of clarity yeah, I hear it made it easier for you to see who was a fit as mm-hmm. you were leading. Then you could see who wanted to follow that lead instead of sort of wandering, in which case it's sort of hard to figure out who is a fit with the with the wandering. Is that sort of Correct. it? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, and then I think the one other thing that I might build on what what Vish had said a little bit about kind of direction and momentum um, that I think before kind of when I was full on nice guy, I would have said, okay, what do you want to do for a date? When are you free? Cause again, it gets back to this whole fear of rejection. And if you don't pick a stance, then you can't be wrong. Um, but when you actually lead, 
it, it kind of creates that momentum. If you say even something as simple as how's Tuesday, like that kind of gets the ball rolling. So then she can say, okay, well, I'm busy Tuesday. Let's do Wednesday. Or if you say, let's grab Mexican food. And she says, oh, I had that yesterday. Let's get Chinese. Like it, it kind of gets the ball rolling. So then she can work with that and kind of hit it back and forth and, you know, and ping pong or how, whatever metaphor you want to choose. Um, but yeah, it builds that momentum and builds that energy. And then if you follow up with the second day and say, Hey, I had a good time. Let's get together Saturday. And then like, I found that when I was driving those dates, driving those plans, like the women always responded positively. And they're like, wow, like I, I really appreciate you driving and leading and suggesting things and picking your restaurant. Cause not, not, not a lot of guys do that and it'll really set you apart. So that was, that was the biggest thing for me is kind of creating that energy and the direction and then letting them kind of work with that and flow in it. Can confirm you will stand out when you lead can confirm. So, um, yeah, as we're starting to wrap up here, I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit to community and the value of community or what, what you found was helpful about, if anything, about the community aspect of being connected to other men going through something similar. What was that like for you? And were there any standout moments? I'd say that um, in the moments of high stress and the moments of high anxiety, or you just had a bad experience or you had a, something really bad happening during the day, uh, having that community almost at text and readiness and call, like whatever you need, like to have someone there makes a huge difference. And even if you need to just take two minutes to just let out a whole bunch of expletives and curse words and just get it all out there and know that someone's there and then you actually feel better you know like believe it or not it doesn't sound right but you know just getting it out that negative energy and then just someone there even if they just ask what is it that you need at this moment and even if you don't know but you can respond but I think the community itself is great for that um, because obviously when everything is going great you know I mean it's a little bit different right but in those extreme moments and if someone has been through a similar experience um or had you know similar type things and you know certain people can might be better people to talk to but maybe you can talk to them later but having someone else that you can reach out in the in the moment when you need them really makes a difference i love that there's something powerful about that moment of extreme distress and having somewhere to go that feels like healing, healing of that, that wound around isolation and loneliness, right? It's the opposite of that. It's, I have people I can go to that I trust when it's, when things are really hard, even if I just need to swear for a little bit, <laughs> there's someone listening. Yeah. I'll build on what, what Fish said, talking about kind of people that have been in similar situations, you know, whatever, whatever you're struggling with, there's other people that have shared the same struggles and been in the worst situations. And I think that was the big thing for me was that like, Oh, like, yeah, whatever I'm feeling is totally normal. And being able to talk to other guys that have maybe been 
processing this in a different way or, or longer, I felt like they were able to share insights or, or look at things in a way that I hadn't. Like I, I talked a little bit before about just the shame that um, I felt and a lot of men feel about their desire. And like, I hadn't thought about it in that way before, but then hearing other people talk about it and I was like, oh yeah, like I do feel shame. And then it's like, why do I feel shame? It, it just kind of got me going down that path. And it all kind of started with just seeing another man and his situation and his struggles and how he's coping with it. And sometimes you just need those little sparks and those little pushes to, to keep you doing, going down your own path. Yeah, that sounds similar to what Michael was saying. He'd never heard it sort of phrased that way of sexual shame. And then once it was being discussed, it was like, oh, that's what that is. I've never, I've never thought about it like that, but that's what that thing is. <laughs> There's actually a term for it. Who knew? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was, so I think, I, I think everyone can relate to this and especially in this day and age where we're surrounded by whether, you know, by the idea that everyone has their life together, um, whether that's growing up and watching TV or, or now in this day and age, so social media and everything like that. And you're, you're left feeling very alone because you because you feel everyone has their life together and no one has your problem and because, you know, you're not sharing your problems. So you're not knowing that other people uh, are going through similar experiences, but then when you're exposed to that, that community, that with that like-mindedness to uh, create a space where you can share these and you, when you're, then you, then I realized and you realized that we're not, we're no longer, we're not the only, we're, I'm not the only one. I'm not this enigma that I'm the only, having this, uh, where I'm the only one having this issue because I'm a freak. You are I'm not a broken human being. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, these communities, you know, I like the broader range of men, people. Um, I think what, what's happened a lot with me is, you know, my self-defense mechanism ignores, you know, 90% of any advice I get about myself. But every now when you expose yourself to a broader range of people, like you're going to hear this one message from one person that's going to sink in. And you're like, ah, yeah. It's like, Michael, like that makes sense now. Cause I heard it with this particular narrative and the kind of knowing that there's someone else doing that um, really helps with just being in a community and getting this broad, this really wide, wide spectrum of, uh, stuff, which is, uh, really helpful. I love that you said that. Cause I've, I've had my version of that where, you know, you can have 10 different teachers or 20 different teachers saying the same thing, but for some reason, this teacher has your dialect, right? You just hear it differently from them, or you hear it differently from this person. So to your point, having a range of different people in the room, virtual or real, Sometimes it's just that one person speaks your dialect and you can just hear it in this way from them that actually gets in. And that's, that's invaluable. 
So, yeah. So this is just coming to me. This is not part of my plan, but as we start to wrap up here, I think, um, restoring dignity to the masculine is part of our part of our work. Um, and so in that vein, I'm wondering if each of you could just speak to what is one of your favorite parts of being a man? What is one of your favorite parts of being a man? Anyone can start. I'd say the brotherhood, I think just sharing experiences, being able to do stuff together, whether it's a sport, just sitting around having beers, just talking shop, whatever it is, and just, just guy time sometimes. It's like, it just feels good. It feels natural and it's just connecting. And, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to take something from that guy. It's actually more of a, it's more of a collective sharing experience, uh, cohesiveness. And, you know, I mean, friends can be long-term, short-term, whatever, but just in the moment that you just all could be their presence and just kind of hanging out and enjoying the experience. I love that. Thank you. Um, yeah, similar to Vish, I would say my... My particular version of my own masculinity now is um, a really a more profound sense of I got this. That um, feels really good. That's hot. That's hot. Uh, I'd say the thing that I've not really appreciated until recently is that as the man, like you are the leader and you are the pursuer. And you really can go whatever direction you want to go and then, you know, hope the people follow, you know, you're not waiting for someone else to lead you where you want to go. You really have it in your own power. And I didn't appreciate that uh, too much until lately, but it's, it's something that's, I think, unique to being a man. And it's something that, you know, we should all embrace and enjoy. I love that. Thank you. can't say I've ever thought about this. So this is, I find this was a very like challenging question for myself. And I think I'm going to think on this later on tonight. Um, I kind of want to just agree really with what well, Vish said in terms of uh, the brotherhood uh, speaks a lot to me. And as well as, you know, the, the ability to take ownership and leadership and to really be a, feel like you're a drive, you're a, a driving force in, in the world. Um, I would love to quote friends at this moment because I just thinks of an episode of where like Joey and Chandler are like, we are men, we like fire. <laughs> um, I don't know, just, yeah. <laughs> I think I remember that episode. It's not the same episode with the duck, but. No, but the, yeah. the, the drive and the, and the brotherhood is, I definitely, I'm proud to be a man. <laughs> Well, thank you, men, for being here and showing up, and it's much appreciated. And if you, as a listener, are interested in learning more about our program, you can go to evolutionary.men/slash training and take our free training. That's probably the best way to learn more. <laughs>